Our reading today comes from Psalm 13, verses 1 through 6. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Hey, Christ City, just as we get into this text today, uh, I want to highlight two things for you really quickly as we begin this new series in Lamentations. And, uh, and as you've already seen on the video, uh, a welcome to Kendra. If you did not catch that, uh, that video with Kendra, who's new to our staff team, uh, make sure you go back and check that out. And uh, ladies, if you noticed in there that we're going to be doing some Bible studies uh, Tuesday mornings, Wednesday night, get involved in that. I cannot recommend that highly enough. Uh, second thing is that we've developed a little booklet for this series in Lamentations, kind of an introduction and an overview, give you some framework on how you can think about that, some key themes, and also all of the discussion questions for the seven weeks that we're in this series are going to be contained in there. Um, in addition to that, within that little booklet, uh, Doug Crystal, who's our director of biblical counseling, has written a little essay on, very short, on uh, biblical counseling and lamentations, and I would really recommend that to you as well. So we are beginning our series in lamentations, and I want to say this. Lamentations is a book for today. Like right now, in this moment in history, it's a book for us. In a world of suffering, we need to know what we're supposed to do with it. Uh, we need to know how to process it. We need to know how to express how we feel about the pain and suffering, not only that we experience, but that we see in the world. And Lamentations actually gives us the language to do that well. So we're going to be in Lamentations, as I said, for the next seven weeks. Um, today is an introduction on the importance of lament. I'm not touching the text in Lamentations, really. But then we're going to spend five weeks, uh, one week in each chapter. Each chapter is an individual poem. So one week in each chapter, and then a concluding week that will wrap it all up and tie it all back together. Uh, so today, very simply, I just want to, I want to look at this and go, what is lament? Why do we need lament? And then why Lamentations? That's all we're going to look at. What is lament? Why do we need it? And why lamentations? Uh, first, why is lament? It's a guy named Mark Vrogop. Uh, he has written a very personal and actually very moving book on lament. In that book, he said, Lament can be defined as a loud cry, a howl, or a passionate expression of grief. Then he says, however, in the Bible, lament is more than sorrow or talking about sadness. It is more than walking through the stages of grief. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament moves us toward God even when we don't feel him near. Lament is more than worldly grief and sorrow and being upset by the things around us and even the things in us. It's a cry to God that expresses our pain and the depth of our need for his mercy. That's lament. 
We need that in the midst of our own sin and our own brokenness. We need that in the midst of the sin and the brokenness of the world in which we find ourselves. And the expression of all of that grief and all of that sorrow in lament then leads us to a deeper place of active trust in the sufficiency of God in all things. That's what lament is. Sung Chang Ra said, lament is the language of suffering. See, we suffer in our sin, and we suffer the effects of the sin of others. And when we suffer, we need language to express that as we come before God, as we work together as a community. As we come to prayer and worship and we converse with God, we need language that helps us to express the depth of sorrow and grief in us due to the suffering we see and experience. The way that this prayer often takes shape then really comes down to two foundational questions, right? God, where are you? Where are you? And God, if you love me, then why is this happening to me? Right? Where are you and why? Why is this going on all around me? There's a guy named Michael Card. He also wrote a great book on lament. And he said, every major biblical character from Abraham to Paul is heard praying their protests to God and sorrowing for their sin by means of lament. The complaints are eerily similar throughout the chorus. Why did you hide your face from me? Where are you, O Lord? If you really love me with an everlasting love, then why am I sick? Why do my enemies triumph over me? Why am I forsaken? What am I to do with my sin? And see, all of those prayers of protest, those laments, protesting the state of the world and the state of the affairs of our lives, all of them are very important. Christopher Wright said it is important to recognize that such protest is not in itself blaming God for doing wrong. Nor, in my view, he said, is it intrinsically sinful. It is faith-seeking understanding. The voice of protest firmly believes that the judge of all the earth will do right, but longs for reassurance that ultimately he will indeed do so, unmistakably and visibly. In the meantime, the struggle goes on and the protesting questions remain. This is the essence of biblical lament. It is faith struggling with vertigo over the chasm between what it knows to be true about God and the realities of what it sees or experiences in this fallen world. So lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament is the language of suffering. Lament is the space we live in between trusting in the sovereignty of a good and merciful God and the experience of living in a fallen and broken world marred by the effects of sin. This is lament. It's the location of it. Rather than just talk about what it is, let me show you what it looks like. I want to show you four movements of lament, and we see all of them in Psalm 13. Let me read it. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. 
My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I want us to see four movements of lament in this passage. The first movement of lament is toward God. In lots of ways, it's obvious. David begins to pray. He's coming to God in prayer. His circumstances are terrible. That doesn't mean he gives up on being present with God. He comes to God. He approaches God. He draws near to God. However you want to say it, there is a movement toward him. It says in verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Do you hear the cry in that? How long will you hide your face from me? And he says, will you forget me forever? He's in pain and he moves toward God with his pain. It's the first movement of lament. It's toward God. The second movement of lament is from silently suffering to voicing the pain. Psalm 13, again, verse 2. How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Right? He names the specific stuff that's going on and he asks God to meet him in the midst of it. Christ City, God can handle your stuff. He's not afraid of it. In fact, he knows quite well what's going on in your soul. You've got to move from silently suffering to voicing the pain as you draw near to him. Katie Joe Ramsey said, Others might not be comfortable with our most honest, desperate cries, but the Psalms make it exceedingly clear God is. Okay, the third movement of lament is from quiet resignation to bold request. From quiet resignation to bold request. Look at verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Okay, what I want you to see is that this is neither despair, where he sort of gives up in the face of overwhelming suffering and obstacles, nor is it denial, where he's like, hey, everything's good, everything's good, everything's good, big smile. It's neither despair nor denial. It's lament. It holds the dissonance of this world in tension, right? It's not okay, but I trust God. That's the cry of lament. David's saying, I'm not being beaten down here by my sin and the sin of the world around me. I'm not resigned that this is the way that it's always going to be. So God, in my pain, hear my prayer. Right? Lament says, God, I know you're with me that things, things are not as they ought to be. Please light up my life. Please meet me in this. The fourth movement is from struggling with doubt to resting in trust. From struggling in doubt to resting in trust. Verses 5 and 6. But I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Listen, trust in God is all we have. It doesn't matter what you're going through. If you are able to anchor yourself to the immovability of the nature and character of the God of the Bible, you will persevere. Right? Trust is the chain that connects a, a, our shaky life to the certainty of God. Trust is all we have. Right? Lament, though, is an act of faith. Lament is active trust. 
There's movement to it. But this is really important for us to know in our practice of lament, and I want you to hear it. Lament is an act of faith that might not change your circumstances, but it will change your heart. In a prayer of lament, we move toward God. We move from silently suffering to voicing the pain. We move from quiet resignation to bold request. And we move from struggling with doubt to resting in trust. And sometimes it's really, really messy. And that's okay. We've looked at what lament really is. Let's look at why we need it. Why do we need lament? Simple answer is that we live in a fallen world and it's through lament that God enables us to persevere in our faith come before him, to name the pain, to ask for his help, to rest in his mercy, right? Our whole world groans under the weight of sin. We know that. Romans chapter 8 tells us that. This is not a unique thing, though, to the people of God. The the whole world groans under the weight of sin. We all feel the disconnect between the way things are and the way that we think they should be. Now, depending on the worldview you might hold, if it's not a Christian worldview, a biblical understanding of the world, you might have ways that you think things should be, but I can guarantee you this, there are not a lot of people walking around the planet right now saying, hey, I, I think I know how things should be and everything looks like that. No, there's a disconnect between those. The way that we approach that as Christians, though, should look and sound different than those who have not yet grounded their hope in Christ. Right? Think about the state of affairs in the world right now. Right? There have been protests against racial injustice in most of the large cities in the United States of America for months. It's not just an American anomaly. It's people protesting injustice all over the globe. It's a window into the human condition. There's some universality to it. There's, it, it. It's a universal truth. We feel the pain. There's a cry in Quebec right now looking for justice for Joyce, and they should. There's a cry from the poorest people in Egypt as they are having their homes destroyed. There is a cry from the electorate in Belarus right now who are dealing with political corruption. There is a cry in Lebanon about economic hardship and the way that the government is leading. There's a a foundation, it's called the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. They've got a global protest tracker online. It says that since 2017, there have been about 100 significant anti-government protests that have led to about 30 of those leaders being removed from power. Uh, They say that 8 out of 12 South American countries have seen this. This has gone on. That's a continent full of suffering and pain. Some of the most violent government crackdowns that we've seen have happened in Iran, Iraq. It's not a North American phenomenon. It's not a North American problem. It's a window into the global reality of suffering. And these protests happening all over the world are a form of secular lament. It's a form of lament that is detached from the hope of the gospel. So the question that we need to ask ourselves here, how are we supposed to deal with it? For the most part, everybody knows that we live in a world of real, tangible suffering. How are we then supposed to deal with all the mess around us? 
Okay? If you don't have your hope anchored in Jesus and you're not grounded in the promises of God in Scripture, you don't know how to deal with the visceral experience of all of this pain apart from externalizing it through things like protest and activism or internalizing it where you just sort of suppress all of those emotions about all the mess of the world and all the pain and sorrow that you see and you push it right down and then you put blinders on so that you never have to engage with it. We externalize or we internalize, but lament gives us a third way. When we think about dealing with emotions that are attached to suffering and pain and sorrow, we can either vent them, that's that externalization of it, or we can suppress them, that's that internalization where we just push it down and lock it away, or we can pray them. Lament actually gives us language for that prayer. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. But let me tell you what I think the big difference is between worldly protest, that secular lament, and those who protest through the act of biblical lament. Secular lament does not acknowledge their own sin. In secular lament, it's always the fault of the other, and the individual is not complicit. Secular lament and protest get the problems right. They think things are messed up because they are. But secular lament does not go far enough because it doesn't have an answer to the sin underneath the circumstance that has upset them. Biblical lament acknowledges the sinfulness of humanity and the complicity of every human being in the problem of suffering. And you go, oh my gosh, this is over the top. You're saying that every human being is complicit in the suffering of the world. Yes. That is what we're talking about for the next six weeks in Lamentations. By nature, you are a sinner. By the way you have lived, you have sinned. You are not without fault or error or complicity in the suffering of the world. See, not only have you done wrong, you have not done what is right. And both of those reveal the truth of the sinful heart of humanity. Biblical lament starts with me. Owning the reality that I am in need of salvation. And that's why we need lamentations. We've looked at what lament is and we've looked at why we need it. Why lamentations? Third point. I said we need the biblical practice of lament because we live in a fallen world where we experience suffering in general, but we need lamentations for a far more specific reason. Barry Webb said, lamentations is a book about suffering, but not suffering in general. It is about deserved suffering, suffering for sin, and it's about the suffering of the people of God. You're sitting here going, hang on a second. Look, I'm telling you, this is going to be crystal clear for the next six weeks. It's, It's simple, It's not easy to swallow. But this is the biblical picture. It's not about the abstract concept of suffering. Lamentations is about the experience of suffering, particularly because of active rebellion against God. The historical backdrop to the book of Lamentations is set against the destruction of the city of Jerusalem and the exile of many of the people into Babylon. The superpower came in, sieged the city, destroyed everything, flattened it, raised it, burned it, whatever you want to say, and carried away the best and brightest off to Babylon. Lamentations 1 says it like this, verse 1, How lonely sits the city that was full of people. 
How like a widow has she become. She who was great among the nations, she who was a princess among the provinces has become a slave. The Lord is in the right, for I have rebelled against his word, but here all you peoples see my suffering. My young women and young men have gone into captivity. This is the historical context, but that doesn't mean it's only applicable to that historic reality. It's just as much a book for the disasters of today as it is for the disasters of the past. And we're going to get into all of this over the next six weeks. And all I want to do with the time that I've got left with you is just say a couple of things that I think will help you to navigate the book of Lamentations. Okay, the first is actually the structure of the book. And you go, yes, literary genre stuff. This is amazing, riveting kind of content. Well, I promise I have a point, and I do think it is compelling. Lamentations is five chapters, and each chapter is a poem. If you're looking at your Bible, and you've got it in your hands, and you kind of flip open your Bible and take a look, you'll notice that chapter one has 22 verses. Chapter two has 22 verses. Chapter four has 22 verses, and chapter five has 22 verses, and chapter three, right in the middle, has 66 verses. Okay? The Bible was originally written, the Old Testament, this letter, this, this, this book of Lamentations was originally written in Hebrew. Hebrew has 22 letters in its alphabet. Each line of chapters 1, 2, and 4 begin with the corresponding letter of the alphabet. Now, if you remember elementary you know, school poetry, you know that that is called an acrostic poem. A, B, C, D, right? Each line begins with another letter. And we have 22 Hebrew letters that begin the 22 verses of chapter 1, 2, and 4, Chapter 5 has 22 lines, which I already noted, and it carries on the theme, but by the end of the book, things start to kind of get a little bit unraveled, and it doesn't carry on the alphabetic pattern, but it sticks to 22 lines for the form. In the middle of the book, the third chapter, chapter 3, has 66 lines, and it sticks with that alphabetical acrostic flow, except the lines are grouped in threes. So it's like A, 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 B, 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 C, C, C. And that's why instead of 22, there's 66. So it's 22 sets of three with each starting with the letter of the alphabet. And if you're still with me, you're going so hot. Who cares about this? It's a great question. There's no deeper or, make, or, or, or more chaotic emotion than our grief in the midst of suffering, okay? It's chaotic, it's deep, it's, it's, it's relentless at times in the way that it comes in waves and it's uncontrollable. It's a chaotic emotion to be filled with grief in the midst of suffering. And when we get into the book of Lamentations, the suffering that we're going to encounter is going to make your stomach turn. The Lamentations, though, brings structure to the chaos of suffering. I love how the one book in the Bible that is named for lament and grief happens to be the most structured book in the Bible. Here's what I'm saying. We don't grieve the way the world grieves. There is structure to our grief. Our grief is not uncontrolled. On one hand, the structure doesn't let us escape the barrage of the grief. Like when you go A, B, C, D, E, and you're like, oh my gosh, you know that you're going all the way to Z. You're moving through, in Hebrew, the 22 letters. 
On the other hand, though, the structure says there's an end in sight. It's not just a relentless barrage. You're going to have to take it for 22 letters in each poem, 22 letters moving through all five poems, 66 verses in the third one, but there is an end in sight. It's limited. It's not going to go on forever. And it's poetry, so it has a rhythm to it. And it keeps us moving. And here's why it keeps us moving. It's a journey through grief. It's not stopping to wallow in it. There's a cadence and a rhythm to it. And it moves us through the story. It's a beautiful reality to see the way that it's structured. And I think it's very important for our study for it. So more about this in the weeks to come. The second thing that I want to show you, the second thing that I want you to see about the book of Lamentations that I want you to prepare for is not the structure of the book, but it is the silence of God. We hear from the city of Jerusalem personified as Lady Wisdom. We hear from the poet or the narrator, whatever you want to call that person. We hear that voice. We hear the voice of the community with a communal lament. But we do not hear from God. Kathleen O'Connor calls this the power of the missing voice. Every other voice in Lamentations in this sense speaks from A to Z, right? In that sense, completely. The fullness of the alphabet, if I can say it, is spoken in every other voice. Yet God is silent. She said, God's absence forces us to attend to voices of grief and despair, and it can reflect vividly or remotely our own experiences of a silent God. Because God's voice is missing, lamentations honors truth-telling and denies denial. Human speech about suffering matters so much that lamentations presents it in all its rawness. Right? God might be silent in lamentations. He's not blind or deaf. He sees and hears. How do I know that? God might be silent in lamentations, but he is not silent in history, and he was not silent forever. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. This is long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Christ City, I want you to see that God spoke and he spoke loudly and clearly in his son Jesus. Because Jesus appeared incarnate in our midst, we can be absolutely assured of God's love for us and the fact that he sees and hears because Christ came to begin the process of reconciling and renewing all things. Christ came to redeem and to save because God heard the cry of the hearts of his people. God spoke loud and clear. He sent his son who not only wept and lamented over the state of Jerusalem, Jesus wept and lamented the state of Jerusalem the same way that that the authors of Lamentations lamented the state of the same city right? 
Not only did he do that, Jesus entered into the suffering of his people and he did not remain outside of it. Because Jesus was acquainted with grief and because he took upon himself the suffering that we deserved and became sin for us, bearing our sin in our place, because of that, we can move toward God with our pain and lament. Because Jesus suffered silently in our place, suffering the judgment of our sin, we can voice our pain in the world. We know we're hurt. Because Jesus didn't have a quiet resignation over the state of the world, but took a determined step to enter into our suffering, we can make bold requests in our prayer. Because God's love for the whole world was spoken so loudly in him sending his son for us, we can lay down our doubts and we can rest in our trust in the finality of his work in our place. We can move toward him. We can voice our pain. We can make bold requests. And we can rest in his love, mercy. We can trust him. Church, we need to learn how to lament. It will set us free. If you're gathering with your house church, I want you to get ready to celebrate communion. As you study Lamentations, you are going to see that it was just and right of God to judge his people as he did. And the good news for us today as we celebrate communion is that God knew that it was just and right for him to judge our sin, except Christ stepped in and took it for us. Jesus was judged in our place. His body was broken, his blood was shed, so we take the bread and the wine and we celebrate the salvation that is offered to us. We come by faith, we put our hope in him, and we understand the fullness of his love through the work of Christ on the cross. So if you're a follower of Jesus, celebrate communion. It's going to be amazing. If you're not a follower of Jesus, um, I'd say hold off on that, but I would tell you, you can get in on this too. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you, you've hung with me to this point, I, I, somewhere in there I called you a sinner. It's true. You understand and feel the sense of impending doom over your life and you know that you can't atone for what you've done and you can't atone for what you've left undone. But the good news is, in the gospel of Jesus, that he came and he paid the price for what you've done and what you've left undone. And that you can be forgiven that sin if all you do is put your faith in him. If that's you, send us an email. I'm brett at christcitychurch.ca. You can email me. I'd love to sit down, have a conversation, celebrate communion with you for the first time. Let me pray. Father, you are so good to us. And I am so thrilled that I can come and talk to you and that you hear me. So help me, Lord, in the midst of suffering and pain in this world and help us as a church to move toward you always to recognize that we can give voice to the cry of our heart and that you hear us and that you are not silent for you've spoken in your son. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen.